Hello and welcome to this edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone who has a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission from the Worcester News and are recording on Tuesday, February the 23rd, 2021. I'm Elizabeth Hill and joining me today round the table is Kate Hudman, and in the engineers' room is Barry Hurd, and I thank them very much this week once again. Clerical work is being done by Carol Hartle and her team. Music is by Sheila Joins, and the thought for the week by Keir Aldis. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. We hope you enjoy our offering, which we hope will inform, educate and entertain bit like the BBC, really. We have some emergency telephone numbers. The thought for the week, we'll open the birthday book. Uh, please make sure we, we have uh, yours. Uh, we'll have the headlines from the past week, the sunrise and sunset times, and we'll have a memory lane slot, and obituaries will be read after the final music. The service is quite free to users. We are a registered charity. If, however, you would like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane in Worcester, WR51DA, or put in your wallet. And I do thank anyone who has sent a donation recently. We are very grateful, particularly in these tricky times. In addition to the weekly newspaper recordings, we have a magazine and a very extensive library of talking books which are either on tape or uh, compact discs. So if you'd like a book, please put a note in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 01905 767766. We like to hear from you, whether it's a complaint, not too many please, a compliment, Yes, please, we like those. <laughs> or an observation. Put um, a message in your, in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone. Be aware that we are not here every day, so it does take time to get to the answer phone messages. OK. Um, I'm now going to uh, read you the emergency telephone numbers and then Kate will... Um, open the birthday book and then read the headlines, sunrise and sunset time. So, as I've said, here at Wilds Lane, our number is 01905 For NHS Direct, it's 111. For Out of Hours Medical Assistance, it's 0300 Three two one one, and that's between six and eight pm. For the Worcester Hub, it's o one nine o five seven six five seven six five, and Crime Stoppers is o eight hundred triple five triple one. And for Worcestershire County Council, here to help, 
um, in relation to the pandemic. 01905 768053 option 3. Now, I do have some information about a walking group specifically for the visually impaired. Um, and it's run by a lady called Dee Jones at Sense Adventures. Um, now, if you're interested, I'm not quite sure what the situation is at the moment, but it may be worth just making a note of her number, which is Malvern 01684 891 297 or her mobile number is 07922144614 and so that's something that perhaps with the better weather and relaxing of lockdown um, you may like to um, avail yourselves of. I'm not entirely sure where she walks but um, anyway something else for you to think about. I'm going to ask Jane now to open the birthday book and then go for the headlines sunrise and sunset please. Okay. Right the birthday birthday book this week um, uh, it's actually starting from the Thursday the 25th, so this is going to be March birthdays. Um, so the 1st of March, Michael Wynne, and the 2nd of March, Marjorie Pierce, the 3rd of March, Stanley Burden, and the 4th of March, Peter Williams. And we extend very, very happy birthdays a little bit in advance to all those four people. I hope they have a lovely day. Mm, happy birthday. Yes, indeed. Um, right, sunrise this week, 7.09 a.m., sunset, 5.37 p.m. Mm. So it is getting lighter and lighter mm. in the evenings, which is rather nice. Mm. means that um, some of the things we'll be able to do now that we've ha heard from Boris yesterday may well be possible because it'll be a bit lighter. Mm. And uh, now we start with the headlines of the week. Um I'll read the headlines for every day and then we'll read them separately. Um, the first one, we thought we were going to lose him. Second night, clubs hung out to dry. Our tributes for Christina. Two arrested after death of boy aged nine. Mum's threat to slice neck of her love rival. Sick killer set free despite new crimes. So on Wednesday, the headline was, we thought we were going to lose him. A popular Worcester lad and security guard at the city's hospital is fighting for his life after catching COVID and being placed in a coma. And his partner says, we thought we were going to lose him. Mark Newman, 54, is thought to have caught the virus whilst at work at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. The father of two and partner to Donna Box, 52, tested positive for COVID on January the 7th this year and just four days later was rushed to hospital where he had, has been ever since. Miss Box told the Worcester News she was positive she was going to lose him at one point. 
Mark was rushed into hospital just four days after testing positive for the virus, she said. He caught it at work. He has been a security officer at Worcester Hospital for 17 years now. When he arrived, he was put on a ward and they tested him for COVID again. He was positive, of course. He had blood clots on his lungs and had caught pneumonia. He was really unwell and went to the respiratory unit two days after being admitted. They phoned me then and said I need to come and see him. We thought we were going to lose him. He was then moved to intensive care and that is when they put him in the coma. They needed to put him in, in, on a ventilator and putting him into sleep to sleep in the coma was the only option. He was in a coma for three weeks and has been in hospital for five. It has been really hard. I've had to try and hold it together for him, but it hasn't been easy at all. I had COVID as well and have only just recovered myself and gone back to work. Before Christmas, we buried his father. It has been a really tough time for us all. Mr Newman has now been awoken from his induced coma after having a tracheostomy fitted, which allows him to breathe on the ventilator. But Miss Box says this is just the beginning of a very long recovery for him. She said, this is the longest we have ever been apart in nine years. I am not allowed to see him because of the restrictions. I call the hospital twice a day to check up on him. I am desperately trying to stay positive now. It's easier than it was before. I can now see the light at the end of the tunnel, but there is a long way to go yet. The virus has made him lose so much weight and, and muscle mass. It has also affected his vocal cords, so he finds it hard to speak. In fact, he can't speak at all at the moment. The doctors tell me he will have to relearn everything. Sitting, speaking, standing, walking, eating. We don't know the extent of the damage yet. I don't know what he can do and what he can't do. It is just about finding out how this has affected him. I just want him home. He's got a lot to catch up on. He's even missed our anniversary and Valentine's Day. Mr Newman's sister-in-law, Vicky Lancaster, has set up a GoFundMe page to support his rehabilitation journey and help shoulder some of the cost of my home adaptations or specialised treatment the couple may need. A Worcester nightclub boss fears a host of social problems could be forced underground if the nighttime economy is allowed to collapse. Alexander Fell, owner of Alexander's Nightclub in New Street, argued the industry had been left hanging out to dry by COVID-19 restrictions and a lack of support from government. It comes after a warning from a group of 40 MPs that many night spots and music venues will not survive the pandemic without urgent government intervention. Their report revealed 85% of people working in the nighttime economy are considering leaving the industry and 78% placed on furlough at some point since March 2020. Mr Fell said the industry was best placed to manage social gatherings and should be seen as part of the solution in planning a return to nightlife. Labour MP Jeff Smith, a former DJ and chairman of the all-party parliamentary group for the nighttime economy, said city centres would become ghost towns without action. 
While Worcester MP Robin Walker, a member of the government, said he was pushing for the support of the hospitality sector. Mr Fells said, we've been left hanging out to dry. I wonder if there is reasoning beyond what we get told. The nighttime economy is a strain on some resources. One thought I had was whether they were enjoying this. We have had no real help or correspondence from the government and I don't see how anyone can survive being closed for this long with rent and bills to pay. It is such a shame. We are in a fortunate position where we can just sit and wait, but I know other people who can't. If there isn't immediate intervention, then there will be a very thin nighttime economy post-Covid, but still a very big demand. He added that nation will have been starved of nightlife for probably two years by the time things got back to normal. But there was hope on the horizon. If you look at places like New Zealand, there has been a huge influx towards nightlife, so it will be really interesting. Biologically, we are hardwired for connection. We are social creatures, and even during this lockdown, you can see by the number of fines dished out that people continue to socialise. If you don't intervene and help the venues that are set up for these social needs, it is just going to happen elsewhere. I think we are best equipped to deal with, la with large social gatherings if you think of the rules and regulations our industry has to follow with door staff, first aiders, licensees and training on alcohol which is a dangerous controlled subject that kills one in 20 people. This industry is the most heavily regulated when it comes to serving it. Supermarkets can sell a bottle of vodka for £10 with no real aftercare for those who are drinking it. In our industry, there is a duty of care until every person has gone home. People will continue to socialise and drink and while the industry might be a headache sometimes, it is probably the safest place for people to get together. On the solutions he would like to see, Mr Fell added, there has to be some sort of financial backing alongside a concrete plan to reopen so we can plan and be in position. Lots of people have put lots of provision in place only to get closed two weeks later, so a plan that gets stuck to is what we need. City MP Mr Walker said the hospitality sector had been hit the longest for hardest. He said this is a part of the economy which is, unfortunately, hit hardest for the longest and we're all looking forward to the government's plans to unlock the economy on Monday. I have made calls on behalf of a number of Worcester businesses, so in that respect I'm always happy to hear from them. The nighttime economy is one which has been hit hard, so I am continuing to raise it with more ministers. That being said, as we still have a number of cases, it may be some time before they reopen fully. Meanwhile, Mr Smith, MP for Manchester Withington, said our world-leading nightclubs, pubs, bars and live music venues are cornerstones of our communities. They drive so much economic activity, both locally and nationally, and bring hope, joy and entertainment to millions across the UK. 
Our findings today reveal this industry is on its knees, in desperate need of additional support from the government and a concrete plan for reopening. Without these interventions, many of these viable businesses will go under, leaving city and town centres resembling ghost towns. If the government is serious about its levelling up agenda, it must act now to save this sector and avoid untold damage to the social fabric of this country. Michael Kill, Chief Executive of the Nighttime Industries Association, said COVID-19 has had a devastating impact. Every day I speak with the dedicated people that make up this industry, from artists to engineers, bar staff to security, and production to promoters. They have shown great resilience in the face of adversity, he said. But resilience only gets you so far without the required support. We need more assistance and a detailed plan for reopening now. Otherwise, much of what defines a night out in the UK will be lost forever. A church leader has set up a tree memorial outside of her house for residents to pay tributes to a woman whose body was found in the river in Worcester. Members of the Tolladine community have been paying tribute to Christina Rowe, whose body was found in the River Severn in Worcester on Thursday, February the 11th. A man has been charged with her murder. Miss Rowe, who was 28, lived at Cheviot Close in Tolladine, and residents have left flowers, candles and messages at a tree outside of Mission House in Tolladine Road. Sue Marta, who lives at the house, is employed part-time by the Tolladine Mission, which aims to work with the local community and is funded by the Diocese of Worcester. Sue came up with the idea for the memorial after residents expressed their desire to pay tribute to Miss Rowe in the community. She said, everyone in the community was really shocked after the news. You carry on with your normal lives and then something like this happens. I think people are really shocked and it's had quite a big impact on the community. I did a post on the Tea at Tolly Facebook page with the idea as the tree is outside my house and it's visible from the main road. People are really keen on the idea and have contributed as it's gone on. People have mentioned and talked about it as they go past and have said it's a nice way to contribute. One tribute on a basket of flowers left by the tree says, So sorry this happened. R.I.P. R.I.P. Now, Princess. Flowers have also been left outside Miss Rowe's house in Cheviot Close. The body of Miss Rowe was pulled from the river following an overnight search by police firefighters and specialist divers last Thursday. The discovery came after police cordoned off three locations in the city. Cheviot Close, a home in Waterworks Road and Diglis Footbridge on Wednesday, February the 10th. Charles Byrne, aged 24, of Waterworks Road has been charged with the murder of Miss Rowe and the attempted murder of a second person. The case was heard at Worcester Crown Court on Tuesday, although Byrne was not present for the hearing. He did not enter a plea and was remanded in custody before the next scheduled appearance at Worcester Crown Court in April. Speaking to the Worcester News, a neighbour who lives in Cheviot Close said, I think she moved here last year. Although I didn't know her very well, I would say hello to her and she seemed really nice. It's very, very sad. Everyone was in shock. 
It's hard to believe that something like this can happen around you when we were that close. I've been here nearly five years and it's always been a very quiet and nice place. I did not notice anything in the evening. I'd seen the boy before, coming and going from time to time on other occasions. Police asked if we heard or saw anything, but we didn't. The police left on February the 16th after being here for six days. The death of Miss Rowe has stunned people across Worcester, with many paying their respects to the young woman. Miss Rowe's friend, Carla Castro, paid tribute to her last week. She said, You were a star, but you never looked down on anyone. You left pieces of you to everyone you met, and all I read are good things about you. A man and woman arrested following the death of a nine-year-old boy in Droitwich have remained in police custody as of Friday. I believe they have now actually been released. Mm. Flowers and tributes have been left for the boy who has been named locally as Alfie Scott. Police and two air ambulances rushed to the semi-detached home in Vashon Drive, Copcut, at around 3pm on Thursday afternoon, that was the 18th of February. The boy was found in a critical condition and flown to hospital, but sadly did not survive. Police released a statement that said a 39-year-old man had been arrested on suspicion of murder, while a 33-year-old woman had been arrested on suspected child neglect. Neither have been named by police and they remained in police custody at the time this story was written. The police have said the boy's next of kin have, has been informed of his death, but formal identification not yet taken place. Detective Inspector Ed Slough said, This is a tragic incident that has seen a young boy lose his life, and our thoughts are with his family and friends at this awful time. We are currently treating the boy's death as unexplained and carrying out inquiries to establish the circumstances. We're aware of comments in the media and social media relating to this, relating this to a stabbing. We would like to clear this up and say there were not stab wounds found on the young boy. The death of a child this age can have a huge impact on his family and his friends. We are supporting his family with specially trained officers. And if any of his friends or young people in the area are affected by this unfortunate death, Please seek out support from specialist child bereavement charities, such as childbereavementuk.org. Neighbours to the property said the boy was called Alfie and attended Witten Middle School. A resident said all the kids were lovely and Alfie was very well-mannered and polite. It's absolutely horrific what has happened to him. His grandparents live nearby and will be devastated. I understand Alfie was a massive Arsenal fan like his granddad. Another neighbour said, It's just so sad what has happened. We saw the little boy, Alfie, two days ago. He was playing on his bike and there's a little ramp by his drive that he was riding over. Forensics officers were seen in the area uh, the following day, but there appeared to be a smaller police presence in the street by... Um, Friday. Floral tributes were also starting to grow outside the property throughout the day. A mum who threatened to slice a woman's neck 
and make her eat a man's private part after she chopped it off has been warned by a judge not to do it again. Tanika Atwood, pictured in on this article, walked free from Worcester Crown Court after being handed a community order for sending the ugly messages to Jade Jones. We reported how the 21-year-old Worcester mum, now living in Kidderminster, pleaded guilty to sending an electronic communication with intent to cause distress or anxiety when she last appeared on January the 21st this year. Atwood was even banned from a Worcester street, wheel right close, as part of her bail on the last occasion after the message was sent between November the 19th and December the 5th. The mother, now of Avon Road, Kidderminster, denied sending another similar communication to a different complainant. Criminal damage to a Seat Leon car on December the 4th last year and a fray, also alleged to have taken place on December the 4th last year. After a retraction statement by one of the complainants, the prosecution agreed not to proceed on these other counts against Atwood. Not guilty verdicts were reached in relation to these three counts of the hearing. Amy Parks, prosecuting, said Atwood had sent messages asking the complainant about her friendship with the man who was the defendant's ex-partner. In one of the messages, she wrote, Message Richie one more time and see what happens. Atwood also referred to the complainant using offensive language and said she was going to smash the house and the cars up. Atwood was asked by the complainant what this had to do with her, to which she replied, I will slice your neck, said Miss Parks. Another threat involved her chopping off an intimate part of her ex-partner's anatomy and making the complainant eat it. Miss Parks added, Miss Jones said she felt threatened by these messages and did not really know the defendant and was afraid the threats could be serious. A victim personal statement was also summarised by the prosecution, which stated that the complainant's anxiety had got worse since the threats were made. In the statement, she said she doesn't feel safe to go anywhere anymore and would lock the door whenever her dad went to work. When interviewed by police on December the 5th last year, Atwood initially denied sending the messages, blaming it on a friend. Atwood has no previous convictions or cautions. Michael Aspinall, defending, said his client was now living in Kidderminster with a new partner. He explained that she had suffered PTSD because of violence in her past. She's extremely remorseful. She will never come before the courts again, said Mr Aspinall. Recorder Christopher Middington, QC, said... It's obvious this experience of being prosecuted has been an extremely sobering and salutary one. The judge told the defendant at the hearing, I am quite sure that nothing like this is going to happen again. I am quite sure you won't appear back in this court and you have found all this salutary experience. This was an ugly and threatening message you sent. It caused a great deal of anxiety and distress. Recorder Millington imposed a 12-month community order with one requirement, 20 rehabilitation activity requirement days. A victim surcharge of £90 was also imposed. Don't come back, said Recorder Millington. And the final headline story. A psychotic Worcester killer who beat up a hospital patient in a bloody attack and shoved a frail 70-year-old flood victim 
is free to live with his dad in the city. Carl Hardwick walked out of prison where he was a remand prisoner and will now live with his dad in Downs Green, despite a series of bizarre and violent episodes in Worcester and Kidderminster. The dad cut grass with scissors after holding them to his face, demanded a woman kiss his feet and give him drugs while manhandling her and pulling her hair out in clumps, smashed up a hostel room and smeared excrement on the walls of his prison cell. The 37-year-old, who has mental health issues but is now medicated, was given a community order and made subject to a criminal mm. behaviour order at Worcester Crown Court. After serving 10 months on remand, the sentence means he was given his freedom and will now be staying with his dad, Michael Hardwick, at Hawkins Close. Hardwick kicked dad of four, Thomas O'Brien, to death when the defendant was 17 outside St Paul's Hostel, which resulted in an eight-year custodial sentence for manslaughter in uh, 2000. Hardwick appeared over prison video link for his sentence before recorder Christopher Millington QC at Worcester Crown Court. He had admitted a string of strange and brutal offences, possession of an offensive weapon, scissors, two counts of assault occasioning actual bodily harm, one committed against a woman in her own home and the other against a hospital patient, using violence to enter a woman's flat, criminal damage and battery against a vulnerable pensioner. The case had been hit by a series of delays as reports from a psychiatrist and probation officer were sought and the parties weighed up the danger Hardwick poses to the people of Worcester upon his release. The judge said his actions were probably exacerbated by his use of controlled drugs. On September the 22nd, 2019, police were called to Chedworth Drive in Warnden because of Hardwick's weird and disturbing antics. Recorder Millington said... You were discovered by a female officer in an agitated state, mumbling to yourself and pacing about, and when she approached you, you produced a pair of kitchen scissors which you held to your face and, for a while, refused to put down, bending down and using them to cut the grass. Hardwick was a patient at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on January the 18th last year when, while watching television... Another patient made what the judge called a casual remark about the defendant's daughter, suggesting she was spoilt. Recorder Millington described how Hardwick became enraged and violent at this, launching an attack on the man with his fists. The injuries he inflicted, including a bloody nose, swelling to his head and severely bruised hands. Hardwick was arrested on April the 17th at a hostel for the homeless in Kidderminster. Banging could be heard from Hardwick's room and, when he had vacated it, staff found the room had been damaged, possibly to the tune of £5,000, which included damage to a bed, television and microwave. At around 10pm on April the 28th last year, he arrived at a woman's home forcing his way inside and then into her room by kicking open the door and breaking the lock. 
Inside, you were aggressive towards her, shouting at her, demanding that you supply her with drugs, making bizarre remarks about her praying and kissing your feet, manhandling her and pushing her about and throwing her across the room. You took hold of hair and pulled it with such force that a clump of it was removed. You also smashed a mobile phone, the judge said. The victim sustained a cut to the side of her mouth. While staying at the Founds Hotel, which has been used to shelter homeless people during the pandemic, Hardwick barged into a 70-year-old woman who had been made homeless as a result of flooding. Recorder Millington said the woman had also seen Hardwick spit in another male resident's face before he gave her a hard shove to her back. She was 70 years old and had problems with her back. You are extremely fortunate she did not fall as a result of your push, said the judge. When arrested for this, Hardwick damaged his cell by pouring water into the intercom and smearing excrement on the walls. However, the judge noted that Hardwick had already spent 10 months on remand waiting to be sentenced and that treatment involving medication had been successful. His mental health had stabilised and there had been no further incidents while in prison. Recorder Millington made a community order for two years to include 60 rehabilitation activity requirement days. A probation officer will supervise Hardwick's ongoing mental health issues. A three-year criminal behaviour order was also made, which prohibits Hardwick from behaving in an aggressive, threatening or intimidating manner and he must not enter Derby Road in Worcester or have anything further to do with those individuals mentioned. And now further stories that you may find interesting. Okay. A doctor says he is thrilled to bits to be in a chance of winning a prestigious Worcestershire Health and Social Care Award after being nominated. Dr Jason C. Woodery... GP at Barbourne Medical Centre has been nominated for the Care Hero Award. Dr Seawoodery graduated from Cardiff University with a first-class BSc degree in cellular and molecular pathology and has three distinctions and honours in medicine and surgery. I thoroughly enjoy being a GP and supporting our community in Worcester, he said. I think I have the best job in the world. It's an honour to care for my patients and support my colleagues who have done a tremendous job during the pandemic. My work during the pandemic has inspired me to learn more about infectious diseases and I hope to study for the Diploma in Tropical Medicine and Hygiene. The GP has appeared in the Worcester News previously, including helping to ease the city's COVID fears and providing information on non-COVID cases that he was seeing. He added that his work had also received national recognition, having published more than 35 papers in peer-reviewed scientific journals. The 2021 Health and Social Care Awards categories are the Health Care Team Award, the Care Hero Award, the Care Home Worker Award, the Care Trainer Award, the Health Care Employer Award, Domiciliary Care Worker Award, the Good Nurse Award, Adolescent and Child Health Care Award, the Dementia Carer Award, the Palliative End of Life Care Award, the Mental Health Award and the GP Practice of the Year Award. 
Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust has backed the awards by becoming a partner and we are calling out to other organisations to sponsor the awards to show their appreciation for the county's health and care workers. Michael Purton, the editor of the Worcester News, Morven Gazette and Evesham Journal, said these awards are our way of thanking them for their incredible dedication and skill. I would urge all of our readers to nominate an individual or a team to show them how much you appreciate everything they do. To nominate someone or a team for the awards, simply fill out a nomination form at worcesternews.co.uk awards dash whsc dash awards dash two two one and now an update on um the covid19 pandemic Mm. as it affects us locally several parts of the county still have high infection rates according to the latest coronavirus figures Public Health England's coronavirus hotspot map shows several parts of Worcestershire remain as having higher infection rates than the rest of the county, despite an overall fall. The map shows Fernal Heath and Ombersley had an infection rate of 334.1 cases per 100,000 people in the week to the 16th of February placing the area in the third highest infection rate category. Areas with infection rates between 200 and 399 cases per 100,000 are placed in the third hotspot category by Public Health England. PHE's map shows where the most cases have been recorded, with two areas in Worcester highlighted dark blue because of the higher infection rates alongside one part of Malvern and two parts of Evesham. Fernal Heath and Ombersley, on the edge of Worcester, was also included on the map. Increased testing began in Fernal Heath in the first week of February, after a small number of cases in the, of the South African variant of coronavirus were detected in the area. A total of 16 cases were recorded in Henwick, giving the area an infection rate of 281.1 cases per 100,000 people. Twelve cases were recorded in Warndon West, which meant the infection rate was 218.3 cases per 100,000. The hotspot figures are split into several middle super output areas, which are used by the Office for National Statistics. The zones are slightly larger than postcode areas, with an average population of around 7,200 people. Worcester's infection rate was 135.3 cases per 100,000, with 137 cases reported. And in Witchhaven, which of course includes Fernal Heath and Droitwich, the infection rate was 134.4 cases per 100,000, with 174 cases recorded. A plan to build up to 50 homes on part of a former city golf course looks set to be approved, despite fears it would destroy one of the city's few remaining green spaces. <clears throat> the affordable homes could be built on the former Tolladine Golf Course by Housing Association Bromford, with three homes in nearby Darwin Avenue demolished to make way. Worcester City Council's planning committee, meeting on Thursday, 
this week to make a decision with planning officers recommending the plan is approved. A campaign was set up to stop the homes being built, with residents saying if the plan went ahead, it would mean swapping priceless natural fields for pollution and congestion. A petition against the plans has so far attracted more than 800 signatures. Campaigners say the fields are next to a local nature reserve and used regularly by families and young people, dog walkers and nature photographers who already have very few places left to go. More than 25 objections were made against the plan to the City Council, with Warnden Parish Council also objecting. One objector to the plan in Darwin Avenue said the roads were not suitable for construction traffic and it would be dangerous. Darwin Avenue is totally unsuitable for construction traffic, the objection said. It will be dangerous for residents and damaging to cars, pavements and potentially houses. The whole plan lacks any plan for safe and reasonable matters of access, both during construction and after. It will be dangerous. It doesn't address any concerns raised in the consultation already carried out. I have severe concerns about this, and it shows we are simply being ignored when our house will be deeply impacted by noise, pollution and potential damage to the property. And this is unacceptable. The plans themselves look okay in that they comply to regulation. It is really disappointing that the council has allowed planning for houses on this land, which is much loved and used a used area by many local people. Warnton councillor Andy Roberts said there was a satisfactory housing supply and was concerned that the area would be giving up treasured green spaces for homes. Bromford replied to local concerns, saying the homes were in line with the council's policies on trees and green space, wildlife and traffic, and parking, and the homes should be allowed because there is an oversupply of green space in the Warden Parish South Ward, and a desperate need for affordable housing in the city. The homes would be a mix of one to four bedroom homes, of which 35 would be for rent and 15 made available to buy through shared ownership. And a further update on the death of the um, young boy in Droitwich. Tributes have continued to pour in for Alfie Scott, the nine-year-old who tragically died last week, including from his school where leaders said it was a very sad time. The unexplained death of Alfie, a pupil of Whitton Middle School, took place at his home in Copcut, Droitwich, on Thursday. Uh, the man and woman who were arrested initially were released on bail on Friday night and police have released no further updates since. A spokesman for the Spire Trust, the multi-agency trust of schools of which Whitton Middle is a member, said... We are deeply saddened by the death of one of our students and our thoughts are with their family and friends at this very sad time. We will do our utmost to support the school community during this difficult period and are working with Worcestershire Children First to provide specialist support to any who need it. Witten Middle School has recently become a valued member of the Spire Trust. The Trust will continue to work with all agencies supporting the multi-agency response and investigation into this tragic incident. A picture has emerged of the nine-year-old who died at the address in Vashon Drive. 
while a shelter near to the semi-detached property has become a focus for leaving tributes to Alfie for a community still in shock. Over the weekend, people laid flowers, toys, balloons, candles and personal messages of condolence. Readers have also continued to post their tributes to Alfie. Paul Tyra said, Rest in peace, young man. Deb Lindsay said, Heartbreaking, fly high, Alfie. Rose Hooper said, Fly with the angels, Alfie, so sad. Shelley Dossier added, God bless, little man, may you rest in peace, taken far too soon. A number of readers also posted a blue heart emoji, which, along with blue teddies, has become a symbol for mourning Alfie. A fundraising page set up for a little girl after her mum, Christina Rowe, was killed in Worcester has reached £1,500 already. Miss Rowe's body was found in the River Seven in Worcester and a man has been charged with her murder, as we reported earlier. Sophie Pugh, a friend of Miss Rowe's family, set up a GoFundMe page for her her daughter, who turns nine, well, it was last Sunday, actually. She said she wanted to give the girl a special birthday, despite the heartbreak of the last week. She wrote, I am trying to raise a little bit of cash for a little girl who has tragically lost her mummy. It It was her ninth birthday. Let's try and make this little girl's birthday a special one. At such a young age, I cannot start to think about what the little girl may be going through. I am in contact with the little girl's family and have made them aware of what I am doing. Miss Rowe's sister, Steve High, said, We are grateful for all the love, support and care people are showing and giving. No good deeds go unnoticed. Um, The body of Miss Rowe, who was 28, was pulled from the River Severn following an overnight search. The discovery came after police cordoned off three locations, as we reported earlier. Charles Byrne has been charged with the murder of Miss Rowe and the attempted murder of a second person. The case was heard at Worcester Crown Court, although Byrne wasn't present. He didn't enter a plea and was remanded in custody before the next scheduled appearance at Worcester Crown Court in April. And now for some sport items. The funeral for one of Worcestershire's most popular footballing names, Terry Orford, uh, will have taken place um, on um, last last Wednesday, actually. Um, he, he died at the end of January, age 78. Terry was well-renowned in the country in the county, sorry, for his contribution to local grassroots football, as well as being a loyal supporter of Worcester City Football Club. Terry played for City on six occasions between 1960 and 1966, and his son Andy Orford explained his dad's passion for the Worcestershire football scene. You couldn't walk down a Worcester High Street on a Saturday without someone stopping me or dad to talk about football, said Andy. He was very well known in in the Worcestershire area for football and I think that was down to his enthusiasm and will to want the best for football here in the county. Dad was very proud to have played for Worcester City and always remained a big fan. He was a Worcester man, born and raised, and was very proud to be from this city. His love for the game was just immense, a huge United fan, but they were very much his premiership team and Worcester City were very much his second team. He would always look for their results and always wanted to go down. I loved those times hugely. 
Andy recalls how influential his dad was for him personally, supporting him through his time at Worcester City and then on to over 300 appearances for Portsmouth in the Football League. Football has been my life and I owe a lot of that to my dad, Andy added. From the moment I walked, there was a football at my feet. Dad ran local teams. That's the overriding memory I have. And I was always go along with him and kick a ball about whilst I watched. He was very influential and he wouldn't miss a game of mine, whoever it was. Should be probably wherever it was, actually. Mm -hmm. Dad was at every game. The levels of commitment he gave to my cause was phenomenal. And I always will be grateful for that, not just from a football perspective, but as a supportive parent. But Terry's biggest passion was the grassroots game, developing talent in the area and always offering a hand to local clubs. He would help anybody locally who ever needed some, Andy added. Dad managed the county youth team at one point, but also at grassroots level managed a number of different clubs. He loved spotting talented players and always wanted to help them reach their potential and would want people to come out of Worcester and enjoy a successful football career. And now some cricket. Worcestershire and England spin bowler Moeen Ali has been bought by IPL franchise Chennai Super Kings for the upcoming 2021 season. Ali was sold to Chennai Super Kings for £700,000 in the opening round of the 2021 Indian Premier League auction as South Africa all-rounder Chris Morris fetched a record 1.6 million bid by Rajasthan Royals. Moeen, who has departed the England squad in India following the second test to take up a predetermined period of rest, found himself at the centre of a battle between Kings 9 and Punjab and Chennai for his services. The 33-year-old, who had spent the past two years with Royal Challengers Bangalore, fills the Super Kings' final overseas spot and will join England teammate Sam Curran at the IPL franchise when the competition takes place from April to June. England batsman David Mallon, number one in the World 2020 rankings, is set to play for Punjab following a successful bid of almost 150,000. However, England players Alex Bales, Jason Roy, Sam Billings and spinner Adil Rashid all went unsold during the first round of the auction. Eight English players, including White Ball captain Eon Morgan, Ben Stokes, Joffa Archer and Josh Butler were retained by their respective franchises ahead of the 2021 tournament. The confirmation of Ali to the Super Kings comes just a few days after he returned match figures of 8 for 226 in the 317-run defeat in the second test between India and England, also in Chennai. The 33-year-old will not play any further part in the series, however, after he returned to the UK due to England's rotation policy. It was initially reported that it was indeed Ali's decision to travel back to the UK for personal reasons, but England coach Chris Silverwood confirmed it was they who made the decision, not the player. We are sorry the impression we gave was that that Moeen was being treated differently to other people, and he isn't, said Silverwood. The decision for him to go home was ours as we felt it was the right one 
and we will own that decision. Mm -hmm. Right, now a further uh, update on a story from uh, the last couple of weeks, really. A tortured swindler who stole £100,000 from a Worcester nursery while her boss was fighting cancer failed to prove she was a shopping addict, said a judge. Her face twisted with anguish behind her Covid mask. Jane Myhill was jailed for two years and four months at Worcester Crown Court uh, on Friday uh, the 12th of February after stealing £102,593 from Worcester and Madrasfield early years centres while she worked as a bursar. We can now bring you further details from the emotionally charged court hearing after the mother was jailed for the thefts which took place between January 2015 and October 2019 when she was finally discovered and dismissed. Forced to sell her family home and downsize, Myhill said she intends to pay the money back and even uh, have some cash left over for covering the cost of the investigation by forensic accountants and any compensation for the distress she caused. However, at the moment, the funds remain locked in a frozen Barclays account and it was left to the business founder to take money out of her own pocket, her own savings, to keep the business going, said Tim Harrington, prosecuting. Despite My Hill's assurances, a proceeds of crime timetable was drawn up but will be withdrawn if the matter is settled in the interim, the judge ruled. Her victim and former friend, Alice Bennett, who founded the nurseries, looked on somberly as Myhill was sentenced. Mrs Bennett sat just yards away from the former friend and colleague who betrayed her. However, she says she had already forgiven Myhill and even expressed concern for her daughter after the hearing had finished. The defendant ultimately broke down in tears in the dock when she learned her fate. Mrs Bennett had to remortgage her home and feared the thefts could have caused the business to close. The 55-year-old Christian, supported at court by the vicar of Great Malvern Priory, who provided her with a reference, claimed she was a shopping addict after she splashed out on clothes, jewellery and makeup. Sean Logan, for My Hill, emphasised her previous exemplary good character, including her charity work and voluntary work for schools. Mr Logan said it was an addiction to shopping, buying things she did not even need to make herself feel better in what seems to have been a tortured time for her. However, Judge Nicholas Cartwright said, There is no evidence, it seems to me, of any clinical psychological addiction to shopping or anything else for that matter at the time of the offending. At most, the money was spent on yourself to make yourself feel better. In sentencing Myhill of the Croft in Cromer, Norfolk, the judge said the thefts had taken place on a regular and repeated basis over four and a half years until her discovery and dismissal in October 2019. The thefts were, of course, in gross breach of trust. The trust that was placed in you, not just as an ordinary employee of the business, but as a bursar responsible for the finances. Cynically, in the latter two years or thereabouts, the scale of the thefts had escalated. 
You were doing this when Alice Bennett was being treated for an aggressive cancer, as you well knew. Judge Cartwright added, Mrs Bennett had regarded you as a friend. She regarded you as having been well treated throughout your employment, he said. This included time off for My Hill to deal with family needs and support offered during her personal difficulties, including the death of her father. She goes on to say how morale and trust has been degraded within the business. She is plainly very much hurt emotionally, said the judge. He told My Hill that Mrs Bennett, having to sort out the mess you had left behind, would have caused stress that was hardly conducive to her recovery from that illness. The judge accepted My Hill was previously of good character, was remorseful and intended to repay the money. And now a memory lane um, story. Um, this was actually written on December the 22nd, 1987, but these are series um, compiled by Michael Grundy. Some of you may have, have uh, heard the books or read the books or had them read to you. This is about a chorister's life, of a tale of life in the 1920s. Fascinating tales of the Sidbury scene in the 1920s have been recalled by a popular Worcester personality brought up in this historic suburb in the shadow of the cathedral. At 70, Derek Bollin is starting writing down his many memories of those distant days, and here are a few of the high spots. Derek was one of five children of the working-class household of labourer Albert Jock Bollin and his wife Alice, who was in service as a maid and housekeeper. The family home was at Nine Court, Sidbury, a cluster of terraced houses um, which used to stand near where it is now Shelley's Restaurant at the junction with Edgar Street. Derek's earliest recollections are of early morning rude awakenings as the local gas lamplighter, a Mr Winkle of Greenhill, banged on the windows with his long rod. My dad was working at digging the rail tunnel at Colwall and sometimes needed an early call. Mr Winkle obliged, but when he banged on the windows, he not only woke my dad, but everybody else in the in the street as well. Derek recalls several typical characters from his boyhood. One of our neighbours was a German called Gus Augustine, who carried on business as a tailor and was a, as bold as a coot, wearing a very badly fitting ginger wig. Haircuts for Derek in those days meant calls at the Whistling Barber in nearby Friar Street. He too was of German origin and earned his nickname because he whistled while, he, while at work, blowing the hair clippings off people's shoulders. The young miss who regularly caught Derek's eye was a girl called Griffin, who also lived in Edgar Street. She was a little cracker, and when she came out to play, most of the boys tried to be her best friend. Her older sister, who frowned on all this, later worked for the Ministry of uh, Food Ministry and helped with the problems over rationing when, he, when I ran the co-op restaurant, writes Derek. Derek remembers Griffiths, the Sidbury undertakers, with their lovely black Belgium horses and black two-wheeled cabs. Traffic had to be held up in Sidbury whenever these magnificent horses, with their manes flowing in the breeze, trotted out from the mews and lined up for the mourners to get into their cabs. Derek, never averse as a boy to earning a few extra pence, would guide Sharaban passengers to the family lav, 
There were five toilets in a row at Nine Court and the local boys would direct passengers to them before and after they stopped off at the transport caff, which used to be in the Shelley's restaurant premises. Older children would also sing and dance alongside the waiting charabangs and have coins thrown from the coach windows by the trippers. Younger girls would squat on the pavement with their skirts or dresses over their knees to catch the money. The two big milestones which were to have a lasting impact on Derek's life came when he was a boy. He was recruited into the Worcester Cathedral Voluntary Choir to start an active association which still continues 61 years on. He still sings in the choir every week and beavers away organising its many activities as choir secretary. When he started, the late Edgar Day was in charge of the choir and each Sunday went for afternoon tea with cathedral organist Sir Ivor Atkins at his home in College Yard. As I lived closest, I had to call for the cathedral chapter house key and the music list for the evening services and take them to Mr Day at St Ivor's, Sir Ivor's. More often than not, Sir Edward Elgar, another great friend of Sir Ivor's, would come to the door and ask me to wait. At that time, the cathedral's Nicholson manual organ was used for the evening services, and one of the choir boys was detailed each time to pump the organ mechanism while Sir Edward played. There was a certain amount of skill needed, for which Elgar would give the boy one penny if the job was carried out to his satisfaction. At 11, Derek started work with the co-op, a career which was to span half a century. He was recruited to work in the evenings and on Saturdays, sweeping up and emptying rubbish boxes. He was taken on full-time when he left school. Derek went on to become the Worcester Co-op Head of Catering and Manager of its restaurant in the Trinity for more than 30 years. But that's another long and different chapter. <laughs> Thank you, Kate. Interesting to look back on uh, some of these characters in the city. Yes, I remember him. Do mm. you? I do indeed. <laughs> yep. mm. ah, the cause of a blaze which killed a young man has been confirmed by the fire service. A man in his 20s was pronounced dead at the scene following the fire at Westfield's farm on February the 15th. The fire service has now confirmed the cause of the fire was accidental and involved cooking. A spokesman for Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said, We can confirm that a firing investigation took place and the cause of the fire was accidental involving cooking. This tragic event underlines the importance of having smoke alarms fitted on every floor of your property and tested on a regular basis. For full details of how to keep yourself and your loved ones and your home safe from fire, um, you can call the Community Risk Team on 0800 032 Could City be the oldest? Not a lot of people may know this, but Worcester can lay a very decent claim to being the oldest inhabited settlement in the UK. Its history stretches back around 5,000 years and even as recently as the late 1600s, it was the largest town in the Midlands. Back then, Birmingham was a market town, half the size, so too was Gloucester, while Warwick and Lichfield were considerably smaller still. 
1678, Worcester had a population of more than 10,000 people, which also put Nottingham, 7,000, and Leicester and Coventry, both 6,000, well in the shade. For many years, the late Philip Barker, an eminent archaeologist, lived in the city and carried out several exhaustive studies into its origins. In the late 1960s, aerial photography revealed an astonishing detail, ev detailed evidence of the earliest habitation of the area around 5,000 years ago. The images showed outlines of ditches and enclosures of Bronze Age settlements of around 3000 BC in fields alongside the Severn from Holt to Grimley and stretching on to the outskirts of present Worcester. Archaeological excavations of the gravel terraces each side of the river also unearthed scatters of flints, burial urns and other prehistoric implements. But discoveries of even greater significance were made by digs during the Lich Street sack of Worcester development in the 1960s. These unearthed evidence of strongly fortified settlements of late Bronze Age or early Iron Age between 800 and 100 BC. Surveys showed this settlement originally extended southwards to Diglis and overlooked a long stretch of shallow river capable of being forded at all times except during floods. When the Romans arrived in the first century AD, they replaced the Iron Age settlement at Worcester with a Roman town, which had greatly strengthened defences and also a large suburb to the north, covering present-day Barborn. At first this was residential, but later became important for iron smelting and other signs of early industry. After the Romans went home, a pagan tribe, the Hwiki, took over for 200 years and Worcester was one of the leading centres of the huge kingdom of Mercia which covered most of the Midlands and across to the Welsh borders. With the building of the cathedrals, first to St Oswald in 980 and then St Wollstone in 1084, the city became a place of pilgrimage, drawing people from huge distances. In the 12th and 13th centuries, tall and sturdy city walls were erected with substantial entrance gates at the Foregate, Sidbury and St Martins. And by the 1600s, Worcester had a largely prosperous cloth-producing trade. Unfortunately, it didn't last and after a peak around 1700, the city's cloth industry fell into decline and Worcester turned to glove-making and the production of fine Worcester porcelain. The earliest images of the city were engravings, but photographs date from the 1860s and there are some of them, and they are pictured actually in the paper, um, and very interesting they are indeed. Thank you. The Worcestershire Chinese Association provided free meals to homeless people in the city on Friday the 19th to support the community and celebrate the Chinese New Year. The event was held outside the old fire station in Worcester and Frankie Tang, chairman of the Worcestershire Chinese Association, said they decided on the kind gesture to mark the Chinese New Year, which started on February the 12th, and lasts for two weeks. Mr Tang, who also runs the Orient Express restaurant in Worcester, said the event went really well. Between 50 and 60 people turned up, but not at the same time, 
and it was very well received because some of the people didn't know it was happening. Last year, we were very fortunate to have some lottery funding for the WCA and normally we have an event at the Guildhall to celebrate. But because of Covid, we weren't able to do a live event, so decided to provide meals for those in need within the community. One of the meals we served was four flavours, sweet and sour and rice, and one was beef and mushroom and rice. It was a great evening and some people were able to have seconds. Basia Ligas, who is the Community Engagement Officer for Worcester City Council and helped organise the event, praised the WCA for the kind gesture. She said, The idea of providing free meals came from a preparation meeting we had because the WCA wanted to make a donation and because I work for homeless charities, I suggested doing a meal for those in need. Miss Ligas, who works with the Caring for Communities and People charity, added, At this particular time with lockdown, it is really difficult for a number of people who are struggling, so for some to have a free meal is life-changing and the only warm meal they have. If it wasn't for the Worcester Chinese Association paying for the meals and covering the costs, it wouldn't have happened. The Worcester Carnival Committee has announced the famous city carnival will not be taking place this summer due to COVID-19 restrictions. The committee posted this announcement to its Facebook page on Tuesday. The sad but inevitable decision has been made to cancel the 2021 Worcester Carnival this year due to the impact of the COVID-19 virus and based on current government guidelines about mass gatherings and social distancing. It is a huge commitment from the many community groups who take months to develop and build their floats, so we wanted to let you all know as soon as possible. Worcester Carnival is all about inclusion and many of our participants will be in the most vulnerable groups, so as much as we are saddened at the prospect of not putting on this much-loved community event, we know it is the right decision. We promise to bring you a bigger and better carnival in 2022. This is the second year in a row the carnival has been cancelled due to the virus. Despite residents feeling upset by the news, people say it was the right thing to do. Amy Giles said, It's a shame, but the right decision has been made. It, it will be back. The best it's ever been. Colleen Watkins added, Very sad news indeed, but the right decision, of course. Looking forward to 2022. The owners of a card and bookshop slapped with fines of nearly £20,000 for refusing to close during lockdown say they are prepared to fight all the way to court. Grace Cards and Books, which is in Droitwich, has been hit with a fourth fine of £10,000 for continuing to open despite not being recognised as an essential trader by the authorities. But owners of the St Andrews Street shop Alistair and Lydia Walker-Cox argue as they sell items offered by shops still allowed to trade, including newspapers and confectionery, it can legally stay open, a claim disputed by Witchhaven District Council. In a viral YouTube video 
West Mercia Police and Witchhaven District Council officers are seen telling the owners the Droitwich shop must close under the law as it is not essential. But Mrs Walker-Cox argues a garden centre is open from 10 till 6. What is essential about that? When it is again put to Mrs Walker-Cox, the shop must close like others, she responds, That is easy for you to say. When the rubber hits the road, if it was you who didn't have a job, then it would be different. The video ends with Mrs Walker-Cox appearing to be arrested for failing to wear a mask in the shop. When the Worcester News contacted Mrs Walker-Cox, she said, All I want to say is we are just prepared to go to court for it. We are willing to fight it all the way. The shop's owners were issued with a £10,000 fine on February the 10th by Worcestershire Regulatory Services, acting on behalf of Witchhaven District Council. A prohibition notice was issued at the start of the January lockdown, ordering the business to close, which did prompt the store to shut temporarily before opening again. The shop has previously been fined £1,000, £2,000 and £4,000 for continuing to trade. Witchhaven District Council said discussions had now been taking place about further action, including a forced closure or court action, due to concerns about the risk the shop's continued opening poses to public health. It said Worcester Regulatory Services officers had made it clear as the core of the business was selling cards, gifts and other non-essential items, they must close but can continue to trade online and offer a delivery service. Councillor Bradley Thomas, leader of Witchhaven District Council, said... Despite the impact coronavirus regulations are having on businesses, the vast majority of our traders are following the rules. It's disappointing this business feels the need to flout the rules and we will work with our partners to take further action if needed. A controversial plan to build an 80-bed care home on the edge of the city has been refused in a victory for campaigners. Northwick Developments had its plan to build a two-storey £9 million care home off Northwick Road in Northwick Lane near Worcester, refused by Witchhaven District Council, who said the land needed protecting for the community. Delighted campaigners who rallied to save the cherished donkey field said the site had been safe for future generations and common sense had prevailed. A petition with more than 1,100 signatures and more than 160 objections were lodged with the District Council before a decision was made. Councillor Mel Alcott, who represents claims on Worcester City Council and launched a petition against the outrageous proposal to build a care home next to Common Hill Manor, said the land was much-loved green space in the community and there was no need for a care home in the area. I am absolutely delighted with Witchhaven District Council's decision to refuse the planning application for an 80-bed care home alongside Northwick Road, she said. The site is a key wildlife corridor of principal importance with traditional orchard habitat. The views are stunning across this stretch of river corridor and include the well-known and much-loved spire of Hallow Church. The area has a reputation for frequent and significant flooding. 
Placing vulnerable care home residents on such a site would have been reckless, to say the least. The online petition I set up earlier this year with support from local activist Karen Lawrence soon received 1,104 signatures. Pre-pandemic walks in this area were extremely popular and well used, with locals and visitors alike. During the pandemic, this has increased even further. After suffering, to my mind, many poor planning decisions in Clains, at last a decision to protect biodiversity, visual landscape and the health and well-being of many. A plan for a 74-bed care home on the remaining part of the former park, park and ride site in John Common Drive off Droitwich Road, less than a mile away from the old Northwick farm, was approved by Worcester City Council last year. A report by planning officers at Wajavidon District Council said it is considered that the public benefit arising from the development in contributing to the local economy and the housing provision for older people does not outweigh the harm to the character of the area and heritage assets. The development and accommodation of an 80-bedded care home within the site would result in the loss of traditional orchard habitat, resulting in a major impact at local level. This impact would not be outweighed by the need and benefit associated with the proposals. Prison bars proved no barrier to romance as two fraudsters shouted I love you over video link from different jails after targeting an elderly fraud victim. Partners in crime and love, Rudy Francis and Rebecca Rolfe, both from Worcester, appeared over video link from different prisons at the city's Crown Court. Francis, 42, of Painswick Close from HMP Hule and Rolf, 40, of Snows Hill Close, Warnden from HMP Eastwood Park. We've previously reported how both defendants were remanded in custody for fraud and money laundering offences after a woman in her 70s had a significant amount of money stolen from her. Both admitted fraud when they appeared before the court on January the 8th this year. The amount involved was not revealed and it is understood that the Crown has yet to disclose the figure to the defence. Francis said baby when Rolf appeared on the video link screen. Rolf blew Francis a kiss as the clerk reminded them they were both in open court with the judge. Recorder Christopher Millington QC en route for his from his chambers. Francis and Rolf were arrested in the city on Thursday, November the 19th last year and later charged with fraud by false representation, possession of criminal property and conversion of criminal property. They were arrested following a police investigation into the withdrawal of money from the victim's bank account. At the hearing, Rudy Francis and Rebecca Rolfe both admitted acquiring criminal property, that's cash, between July 22, 2020 and November the 16th in the same year, knowing or suspecting that it represented in whole or in part, whether directly or indirectly, the proceeds of criminal conduct. The case was adjourned for a Newton hearing, also known as a trial of issue, to decide on whether their basis of pleas are acceptable. 
The pair also faced a third charge of converting criminal property, although the prosecution said this count may remain on file. The trial of issue was set down for March the 16th. Recorder Millington said, Both defendants are in custody today. I'm afraid they will have to remain there until at least March the 16th. Otherwise, that concludes the hearing. This hearing is expected to last half a day. As the video link was brought to a close, both defendants spoke to each other. Francis shouted, Love you! And Rolf replied, Love you, babe. Speak to you soon. <laughs> Work transforming a former Worcester school into a luxury retirement complex is nearing completion. Enterprise Retirement Living is working on the former St Mary's Convent School in Battenhall Road and the final pieces are coming together. The school, which closed in 2014, has been transformed into 106 private homes, including apartments with balconies and individual houses, both new build and conversion. The site, called Mount Battenhall, has lounge and bar facilities, a restaurant, library, hair and beauty salon, gym and crafts room. The former school was bought by Enterprise Retirement Living Limited of Cambridge back in 2017 and the marketing suite on site opened shortly before the coronavirus lockdown. Viewings for apartments are still ongoing, but these are strictly by appointment only and follow rigorous COVID safety protocols. The former all-girls school, which was in the city for 80 years, closed in 2014. The Grade 2 listed site dates back to 1863 and was a former hospital before becoming the girls' school. When it closed down, the school's management said it was no longer viable, citing problems with recruiting pupils. Each one or two bedroomed home, homes has a lounge, fully fitted kitchen and bathroom or shower room. Some of the properties also have ensuite to the master bedroom and selected apartments have a separate study, terrace or balcony. Although the coronavirus lockdown means the on-site sales consultant is away temporarily, residents looking to find out more about Mount Battenhall can go to www.mountbattenhall.co.uk to find out more or call 01905 630298. With the first lockdown ending last summer, ERL opened up their sales suite on site and began showing prospective residents around. And many were former pupils of the school who came to see how its transformation was going. A shop manager who was three times the drink drive limit was grieving the death of his mum at the time. Holland and Barrett manager David Coombs was seen by police to clip a curb in his Ford car in London Road. The 46-year-old of Cannon Street admitted driving with excess alcohol when he appeared before magistrates in Worcester on Thursday the 18th of February. His solicitor asked magistrates to bear in mind the very human situation he found himself in at the time, having suffered the loss of his mum the day before he was caught. He had not been able to see her before she died, the court hurt. The evidential reading was 114 micrograms of alcohol in 100 mils of breath, well over three times the limit of 35 micrograms.
Coombs was stopped on London Road, driving away from the city centre on January the 6th this year. Mark Hambling, prosecuting, said the vehicle was described as revving loudly. It has swerved and collided with the curb. This is the reason police officers decided to take an interest. The initial report in relation to the vehicle came from members of the public expressing concern. Cums was pulled over and provided a positive roadside breath test before the evidential reading was taken at Worcester Police Station. He provided rather high, a high reading. He's a man of good character, as he appears before you today, said Mr Humbling. David Howarth, defending, said his client's mother had died the day before at the care home where she was a resident. Mr Howarth explained that his client had drunk whisky the night before and described what happened as a one-off situation, a very human situation. He's aware he's going to face a lengthy disqualification. He works as the store manager of Holland and Barrett in Worcester, said Mr Howarth. Magistrates banned him from driving for 24 months, but he was offered the drink driver's rehabilitation course, which, if completed successfully, will reduce the length of the ban by 24 weeks. He was also ordered to pay a fine of £461, victim surcharge of £46 and court costs of £135. Coombs will have to apply to the DVLA to get his licence back at the end of the disqualification. A man has been arrested and bailed over the police raid on a cannabis factory at a house. Police confirmed around 20 mature plants had been seized from the residential property on Radbridge Drive, located between Blackpool and Warnden, on Monday the 15th. Three police vehicles, including a forensic investigation unit, were present at the scene following the arrests and a huge haul of plants was being bagged up while a strong waft was, ca- was carried around the area by the wind. One neighbour commented that the lights were always on, even early in the mornings, with the hall seemingly taken from a downstairs room near the front door, where the curtains were closed. Local Safer Neighbourhood Team Sergeant Carl Jones said, Acting on information from the community, we have disrupted this cannabis cultivation, which is part of Project, our response to tackling serious and organised crime. We want to make our communities even safer and will continue to act upon all information we receive from the community. The scoop led Chief Inspector for South Worcestershire Safer Neighbourhood Teams, Gareth Morgan, to post on Twitter, Great work by the team responding to community concerns. West Mercia Police confirmed the man had been arrested and bailed pending further investigation. A tanning salon has finally been revealed as the third mystery shop to open on a city retail park. The new shop will join Costa Coffee and Greggs on Blackpool Retail Park, according to plans submitted to Worcester City Council. The popular coffee and bakery chains announced they would be opening at the retail park when the plans were first put forward last year. But the tenant of a third and final unit which had been the subject of confidential discussions all year, had not been revealed until now. An artist's impressions of the three empty stores show three signs, a red coffee and blue bakery 
indicating Costa and Greggs. Green sandwich signs had hinted a new subway branch could also be opening. Burger King ruled out a return to the city last year. The stores would bring around 21 new jobs, according to the application. The new units would be in a 397-square-metre pod next to the M&S Food Hall, which opened in 2019, replacing 31 car parking spaces. Costa would move into the biggest space, with Greggs taking over one of the other units. The lost car parking spaces would be replaced elsewhere in the retail park. Two outdoor seating areas outside Costa and Greggs would also be built. A statement by Legal and General Assurance in the application said the proposed retail pod is intended primarily to service the retail park, providing visitors who are drawn there by the big box retail uses the opportunity of purchasing refreshments and light meals to eat in or take out as part of the same shopping trip. The proposal will bring about valuable new investment and jobs within Worcester and will provide visitors to the Blackpool Retail Park with greater choice. The opening of the new stores comes after furniture shop Harvey's announced last August it would be closing its doors after going into administration. A councillor says kissing gates have done the job of stopping nuisance motorbikes despite criticism and calls for them to be removed by cycling campaigners. In a video announcing he was standing for re-election as Worcestershire County Councillor for Warnden, Andy Roberts spoke about his care with share system as one of his successes in office. But in the video he adds, that's sharing with everybody except the illegal motorbikes. We have managed to exclude those by putting up gates at various locations. That comment made in the video posted by the Worcester Conservative Association in a tweet attracted criticism with one person replying, The gates you talk about are a barrier to cyclists trying to legally access the cycle path infrastructure. What, when are you going to remove them? Danny Brothwell, chairman of Bike Worcester, told the Worcester News he also wanted to see the gates gone. Putting up barriers like that is considered no longer best practice at all, the cycling campaigner said. If it is a thing about slowing people down, stopping motorbikes, it will be about putting bollards in there instead. They definitely need to be removing barriers, barriers of all kinds, like these gates. There could not be a better example of a barrier to cyclists than a big lump of metal where people have to get off their bike or find a different route around. Those barriers don't necessarily stop motorbikes anyway. But Councillor Roberts hit back, stressing the gates have been a success, saying, well, the motorbikes aren't there now, are they? The policy is for all our pathways to share with care. You expect everybody to do the decent thing when using them. We have had that problem of illegal motorbikes for several years. There was one particular route that gives access to Trots Hill Way where we stopped it by providing a substantial kissing gate. My feedback from local cyclists is they, the gates, are a bit awkward to use but keep them. That's what they are telling me. They want them to stay in place because they keep things safer for everyone. And that brings us to the end of this week's recording. 
Um, so I have to thank Kate Hudman and Barry Hurd for being here today. And it just remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to sign off and hope you have a good week. And a reminder, the obituaries will follow the music. Bye-bye. <laughs> And now the um, deaths which have been announced in uh, the last week. Uh, Sheila Patricia Ann, née Bourne, um, Brooke, passed away in Walthamstow on the 16th of January. Um, but uh, she will have a, um, a cremation service in London. Um, but obviously she is someone um, locally known. Um, Terence, known as Terry O'Shea, passed away on February the 11th. His funeral service will uh, be on March the 2nd at 12.15 at the crematorium at Aswood Road, uh, following a service at St Joseph's Church, Warnden. But a reminder, family and invited friends only. Peter John Pinfield died on the 29th of January, age 73, and he was chair of uh, Worcester Health Watch. A cremation service to celebrate his life will take place at 3pm on... It will have taken place on Friday the 26th of February, invitation only. Donations, if desired, to Diabetes UK, the British Heart Foundation or the Dogs Trust may be sent via and there's a website peterpinfield.muchloved.com um inquiries to crump's funeral services 01905 339 eileen beryl cowley passed away on the 4th of february um donations for cancer research um can be sent to Worcester Funeral Services 01905 23499. Um, no information about the funeral service. Irene Doris Baldwin of St John's passed away uh, the 7th of February. A private service and interment. Um, donations for Marie Curie or Dementia UK can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son. 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Peggy Olive Neal passed away on the 10th of February. Private cremation. Donations for Midland Air Ambulance can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son. Details as before. Andrew Blake uh, passed away on the 9th of February. Um, funeral service is on March the 3rd at 3.15 flowers or donations to the Queen Elizabeth Kidney Patients Association no uh, mention of um, funeral director there Martha Elizabeth known as Marion Sparry passed away on January the 26th donations for children's acorns hospice can be sent directly to um them 
at 350 Bath Road, Worcester, WR5 3EZ. And our thoughts and prayers are with all of those who have lost loved ones recently. And I'll finish with the uh, thought for the day, um, which is taken from the book of Psalms, Psalm 92, verses 1 to 3. It is good to praise the Lord and to make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. <laughs> 